Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of Can't Wait is Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome into the Can't Wait podcast. It was ugly for Zach Wilson and the Jets on Sunday. Four interceptions in a 25-6 to loss to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. In the home opener, I'm Marissa Morris, joined by the Athletics Jets beat writer, Connor Hughes. Connor, it's not even October, yet Jets fans were reminded of the ghosts of Sam Darnold's past as booze rang throughout MetLife Stadium. I like it. I like <laughs> it. And you wanted to read it to me beforehand. I was like, no, let me hear it in live. I want to hear it when the when the can't wait viewership hears it as well. I was like, that's good. That's good. I remember when you, we were talking about the show, because obviously now that Tim's, uh, that Tim's off being a good father and everything like that, um you and i have taken a much more serious approach than he ever did during this podcast so we have our pre-show meetings you know we have our, our pre-show phone calls where we go over how the show is going to run you know like we create a, a verbal rundown before we yeah. actually go through with the show unlike what tim ever did like tim was just like tim never gave me a rundown tim never told me what was happening he's like you know what, connor you watch the game i'll just set you up we want this in real time you are so, so much more prepared it's very nice a little, little change of pace from papa tim <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Tim, obviously, you guys have your little rundown. I just I never see it because you know, des- we're I, desperately missing Tim. He he yes. does usually create this rundown. And uh, last night when I was up uh, very late doing a f- bunch of other podcasts, I was I was really missing Tim last night. But yeah, we're, we're gonna- I will say my uh, group chat that I'm in with my my friends from high school. Uh, they always get a kick out of the podcast. And, and a, a couple of them, like a couple of my friends are Jet fans. So they'll tune in and listen to it. Obviously, that's uh uh, Wes Masterson, you know, is in here and, and one of my very good friends, one of the uh, uh, groomsmen at my wedding. Um, uh, Connor Dowd sent me a little Snapchat of uh, me getting absolutely eviscerated by the uh, by the can't well, wait chat. I see for being we got a, a good, late a good comment before we get going. This one's from Keith pre-show phone call. Isn't that just Marissa calling Connor to wake him up? Marissa oh, well. did call me to wake me up today, by the way, because, yep. you know, Bree will sometimes go, but Bree's working today. So it was just me. And like, obviously, after a game, it's tough, man, because it's like. I don't get home till like two, three in the morning because I do that CBS thing on home. I was games. working until so like two thirty last night too, Connor, and I yes, drove my cousin I said, to you're the airport. Stronger at than four. me. Yes, yes I drove I said, her to the airport this. at four forty, so I slept two yes. hours and two hours. But yes, you did say I was stronger you are, than you, so you yes, complimented you are a, me. So uh, I'm ready to go. Female, you are a, mm-hmm. a you are a strong, independent woman that don't need no man, even though you have Michael Dunn. <laughs> so like I am, I am not. I am a I am a weak man who who very much would not have my head attached to my shoulders if it was not for Bree. So like you unfortunately get the 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 runoff yeah. of that with this podcast that like I know it's funny too. I like I literally woke up with my three alarms at eight twenty eight thirty eight forty and I was like ah oh, we're good we can sleep for another ten not realizing like I need to make coffee I need to have something to at least be semi you know perky. Uh, yeah. But at least uh, you guys are gonna get unfiltered Connor here because you know it's partially well, sleep deprived. Yeah. yeah, partially just distraught over having to watch that mess yesterday. Yeah, eight fifty six. I was like, I have not heard from Connor this morning. I should probably give him a call. And I received a I period up text back. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I told you before. Like, I actually woke up at like six twenty when Bree was on her way to work, telling me that like her Hyundai is breaking down. I'm like, I what? It's like I remember like hearing. It's like she's like, do you have plans today? I might need your car. I was like, uh, what, what? <laughs> And for some reason, like I woke up and I thought it was Andy calling me Vasquez. So like I almost answered the false said, why? Why are you calling me? And then I heard a, a female voice. I was like, what? I was like, oh, it's Bree. It's like I, I was all I was all loopy. I was all over the place. OK, yeah, sure so we're... you weren't seeing ghosts. You were hearing ghosts. But yeah. we can imagine what well, Zach Wilson was seeing on Sunday. So oh, I do want to set this record shit real quick before we get there, because people are probably going to ask about this. Zach was asked about like that ghost thing and immediately like everyone was like, did you ask that question? Did, did Serini ask that question? Costello asked that question. 
none of us asked that question. There was no right. one on. That the was a Twitter team. thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It was he was asked in the Zach was asked oh. in the post game press conference, but no, that was not a beat writer who asked that. I've actually I actually don't know who asked. I've never seen the guy before who asked that question, but no, that was not. You can stay out of the mentions of me. You can stay out of the mentions of Costello. You can stay out of the mentions of Samini and Andy and Daryl and everyone else on the beat. It was not the Jets beat writer, or not a daily Jets beat writer who asked Zach if he was seeing ghosts. And as soon as like it came off, like, I, I don't. I think my eyes probably. I'm surprised. I'm like, actually, I do. I, my neck is a little hurting. It might have been from rolling my eyes so damn hard when that question came out. Like, it was fun Twitter fodder, but to ask that in a press right. conference was ridiculous. Right, right. So let's get into it. Um, I know Jets fans might want to half cover their ears, but make sure you're still listening. Um, Zach Wilson, 19 for 33, 210 yards, zero touchdowns, and the big one, four interceptions, uh, QBR of 37. After the game, he said they should be fans should be disappointed. They deserve to see better football. And Robert Sala said he was a little bit off. It was not a good home opener. It's a question everyone's asking this morning. What went wrong? What were the Patriots doing to make this so difficult for Wilson on Sunday? It's a good question. And, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a good one because when, you know, my original thought was, oh, they this is Bill Belichick. This is the complicated Patriots defensive scheme. This is where they're just going to throw so much at a rookie quarterback that he just is, quote unquote, seeing ghosts. And when the, the interception started piling up originally, obviously your head and your mind immediately goes to the immediately goes to the Sam Darnold game. And the weird thing was that this was immensely and significantly different than the Sam Darnold game. You know, when Darnold had that, what was he like 11 of 32 for almost you know 90 something yards or 89 yards in the four picks uh, also fumbled and took a sack. The thing that was happening with Sam was that the Patriots sent, spent the first half of that game blitzing the hell out of him. I mean, they brought pressure. They brought pressure. They brought guys. They brought him. They just bombarded him with an obscene amount of looks, right? Then in the second half, they showed him those same obscene number of looks. Sam, you know, just got his his you know got pummeled and threw all those picks against the pressure. He was like, "All right, it's coming." And then the Patriots started dropping everyone back. So in the second half, they went from they gave him all the same looks they gave him in the first half, but instead of everyone going, everyone dropped back, and that's where he got to the seeing ghosts going crazy like breakdown like mindset of what Sam did in that in that outing, right? That wasn't necessarily the case with Zach. I mean, Wilson said they basically showed him what they expected. I mean, they did some unique coverage wrinkles. They threw a couple new things in there, but it wasn't anything the Jets didn't practice against. It wasn't anything the Jets didn't know was coming. It was kind of like week one against the Panthers where the Jets offensive line was like, no, it was it was pretty much what we thought. We just didn't execute. Well, as as Zach Wilson said 15 times in his post-game press conference in some variation of execute, executing or execution, the Jets just didn't execute. And I think this was one where Zach was a little amped up. I think this was one where he got a little too fired up. I think he let his emotions get to him a little bit, even though he said he didn't. And, you know, well, actually, he said he did. You know, he, the game, you know, he tried to do too much. Then he reeled it back and said, no, I didn't try to do it. I mean, you could tell in the post, you could tell in that post game press conference, he was trying to stick to a script and then occasionally veered off, but then try to get back to the script. In the game against New England, I think he just, Marissa was off. And you could tell when he was introduced to the crowd. I mean, you know, because again, this was the the seventy six thousand people packed, almost seventy seven thousand people packed inside MetLife Stadium. The Jets did the pregame introduction. They had the rookies or the offense announced as the for obviously by design. They announced the the first team offense in front of the crowd, and everyone got cheers. You know, Corey Davis got cheers. Elijah Moore got cheers. But when Zach Wilson was announced. All 77,000 people that were inside MetLife Stadium stood up and gave him a roaring, roaring round of applause. I mean, they were going nuts. There was a legitimate audible difference between everyone else getting announced and Zach Wilson. And you saw him running through the tunnel, throwing the hands up to pump up the crowd. He was flexing. He was jumping. He was slapping the hands of the teammates. You could tell his adrenaline was going. He was fired up. His He was you know kind of feeling that rush. And then from his first pass on, you could tell something was off. That pass to Corey Davis, the first interception, was a bad throw, especially because he has Elijah Moore breaking three on a post route just beyond to the left, where if he just kept his eyes up a little bit and saw more, it's a big game laser to Elijah Moore, probably even more than that. The second interception, he's got Elijah Moore wide open on an underneath route, 
decides instead to go for the bigger play to Corey Davis, which is fine because Corey Davis was open, sails it a little high. Corey Davis should have caught it. Corey Davis said he should have caught it. He got pulled of his hands on it. But again, he sailed it too high. And after that second interception, and this was Zach Wilson admitted it himself, he started playing a little hero ball. He started trying to do too much. And that's what led to the three interceptions before the end of the first half. The four interceptions after the first drive of the third quarter. The dropped interception. The other dropped interception. I mean, he threw four. He very easily could have done thrown six. And one of those, one of the drops would have probably been a pick six. I mean, it was a situation where 77,000 people were holding their breath every time he dropped back to throw. And you could tell that, and he admitted it, that after that second interception, things started to spiral a little bit. He started to get a little on edge. I think he started overthinking. And you saw evidence of that because these weren't just bad throws Wilson was making. His fundamentals started breaking down. His footwork was off. His mechanics were off. The most easy pitch and catch throws that he could make in his sleep that you or I could make. He was sailing them. He was bouncing them. He was off. I mean, the 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 big throw that he hit, the 27-yard strike to Elijah Moore, that should have been a touchdown. Like, Elijah Moore was wide open, and Zach Wilson led him to the sideline where the only play that, that uh, Elijah Moore could have made was catch it and then kind of get out of bounds. That should have been a touchdown. Zach Wilson, I've seen him make that pass 50 times in training camp, and he sailed it to him towards the sideline. The one that brought the Boo Birds out was the one that he he uh, failed to complete to Michael Carter in the flat, where Carter's wide open, complete it to him. He's going to get at least six, seven, eight. And the way that Michael Carter was playing yesterday, he might catch that and break a first down. And Zach Wilson sails it over his head. It's incomplete. So it was, I wouldn't go as far as the ghost game. I wouldn't say that he was literally seeing ghosts or anything like that. But this was one where I think emotion got the best of him. I think his adrenaline got the best of him. And I think things just really started to spiral after that second interception. And like Robert Sala said after the game, you got to learn to play boring football. And instead, Zach Wilson was trying to play hero ball and and it caught up to him pretty bad. Uh, You talked a lot about those 77,000 fans. And like you said, there was he was welcome to some booze by the end of the game. What did you make of that? Did you think... You think Jets fans need to take a step back and let the kid learn, or what, what were your thoughts on all of that towards the end of the game? Yeah, honestly, Marissa, I don't, I don't think it was the Jets booing Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. I think that Zach Wilson received the brunt of the frustration right. of Jet fans, and it's frustration that I can sympathize with. It's frustration that I can understand. It's frustration that I can see and 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 feel their pain because they expect it like I know there was I saw it on Twitter there was a large contingent that kind of you were like oh the Jets can upset the Patriots the Jets can win this game the Jets can win this game it was the same group that basically said the Jets are going to beat the Panthers the Jets are going to beat the Panthers I mean realism I think eventually would set in that would realize that this was more hope hoping the Jets would win that game it was more like maybe like god that'd be so cool if the jets won that game but i don't think anyone really expected a rookie quarterback to lead the jets to a victory against the bill belichick patriots i mean if if you actually took off you know the the green colored glasses and put them down you'd realize that that probably wasn't happening but they still expected him to show something and it wasn't just zach as much as it was the jets this team still expected the Jets to show something. And the reasoning for it is that this entire offseason, they've been sold basically that the Jets are punting on this year. Once again, the goal is not the playoffs. Once again, the goal is not the Super Bowl. Once again, the goal is this year is about next year. And that's fine. Teams can can sell that. Teams can make that pitch. Other teams have made that pitch. But it's hard, I think, at the moment, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and I'm sure the, the chat will, will will reel me back in if I'm wrong and, and summarizing how Jet fans might feel. But I'm seeing a mix of both. I'm seeing some people yeah. that were, were said they would boo him, and some people were like, it was his second game. He's a rookie. Like he's Well, no, learn. it's wrong to boo Zach Wilson. Zach yeah. Wilson shouldn't have been booed. What I'm saying is like the reasoning for it is – the Jets are again selling this rebuild and the Jets are again saying, trust us. 
that this is about next year again. You know, we've got the right coach and the right culture. We've got the new quarterback. Look at all the draft picks. Look at all the money we have. We're building this team. It's just going to take time. Just give us time. And eventually, you will see that we're going to turn this around. The problem that I think Jet fans have with that is that Robert Saul is bringing in the new culture, new energy, right? Wasn't that what Todd Bowles did in 2015? You know? We've got the the new co- we've got the new quarterback right the new quarterback that's going to that's going to make a difference and we finally got the franchise quarterback and and it's going to be the franchise quarterback we've got a franchise quarterback right wasn't Sam Darnold the franchise quarterback right wasn't he, he looked, the guy he looked pretty good on Sunday versus the Saints yeah yeah just just pretty yeah, just, pretty just, good <laughs> yeah and, and so they've been sold jet fans like next year next year next year the brand new revitalized offense, right? Like the revitalized crazy new offense is, is supposed to be what Michael Flores bringing in the Kyle Shanahan offense. The Jets finally have a good offense. Wasn't Adam Gase supposed to be bringing in the new offense. So you've heard new energy before you've heard great offense before you've heard. We finally got the franchise quarterback before. And the result has been a team that has been rebuilding for the last 10 plus years, right? I mean, like the Jets have been tearing this up since 2000 and really since like 2014, 2013, 14, since McCagna took over. And aside from one year of winning football in 2015, where you still didn't even make the playoffs, it's just been all of these empty promises, all of these hollow promises, all of these wait till next year when next year just seems to be worse than the year prior. So this was finally one where I think fans were like, after that second half in Carolina, where it was like, you know what? Yeah, we've got the new energy and the new culture with Robert Sala. We've got the new offense with Michael Floor because you saw it in the second half against the Panthers. We've got the quarterback in Zach Wilson. And you know what? Yeah, we hope the Jets beat the Patriots. We want the Jets to beat the Patriots. But even if the Jets don't beat the Patriots, at least we'll compete against them. And we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll show that we're not the, the little brother. We're not going to be beat up by this team anymore. You know, Zach will make some plays. We'll show Zach Wilson, you know, okay, maybe the Patriots are the better team right now, but Zach's better than Mac Jones. And, and Zach will show something and there'll be something to take your hat off and hang it on and say like, yeah, this is something we can move into next year. And instead it was just humiliation. It was again, energy, right? Energy, energy, energy. It, 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 there was no like the energy was brought by the fans that was as loud as i've heard metlife stadium as i've ever heard it before kickoff when they were doing the jets chant when they were when they thought that was a fumble from marcus may like the crowd was just going freaking wild there was energy they was packed they were bought in they showed the jets you know what you've been saying next year you've been saying zach wilson's the guy you've been saying trust robert Sala's energy and the fans you could tell they believed in you could tell they trusted him you could tell they bought in Unlike what they did with Adam Gates, where they're like, eh, prove me first. They bought in blindly to what the Jets were selling. And we're like, you know what? We are in. And you heard it with the way that they reacted. And you saw the line that was out past the Jersey Turnpike. You saw with the number of fans that were tailgating and all the fans that packed the stadium. And what they were rewarded with was a complete and total stinker. Give credit to the defense for keeping them in the game. Give credit to John Franklin Myers. Give credit to actually the offensive line, which which finally ran block and actually kept Zach Wilson upright pretty well until the fourth quarter when he was trying to play hero ball and running all around. But all that really mattered was Zach. All that fans really wanted to see was Zach. They would have been fine if the defense let up 50 points and Zach Wilson led the Jets to 30. But instead, you got a quarterback that went 19 of 33 passing. A quarterback whose first two passes in front of his new fans were intercepted. A quarterback who threw four interceptions on the game or a quarterback rating of 37.0, who instead became the punchline to jokes. Barstool Sports on Twitter, poking jokes at Zach Wilson and the Jets. Kyle Van Noy, not even on the field, but still a member of the Patriots, poking poking fun at the Jets quarterback, saying the whole, like, ghosts again, question mark. So the energy was just sucked completely out. And I think the boos that you heard, the boos for Zach Wilson, were just a result of these fans being promised next year, next year, next year. Just trust us, just trust us, just trust us. But it's hard to trust you when there's been no evidence and no reason to justify that trust. 
There's so much evidence and there's so much reason to believe the Jets are just going to get this wrong again, that Salah is not the answer, that Joe Douglas is not the answer, that Zach Wilson is not the answer, because it's been 10 years of this. The Jets haven't beaten the Patriots since 2015. They've lost their last 11 games. This was supposed to be the time where the Patriots also had a rookie quarterback. The Patriots were also injured. The Patriots were at their first right tackle and the backup who replaced them. You were supposed to at least compete. And instead, yeah, no one said ghost, but like four interceptions that could have been six. Two interceptions on your first two passes. Completing under 50% of your pass. It was dreadful. It was abysmal. And it's hard to fault them for booing where, yeah, you don't want to boo a rookie quarterback because you know there's going to be days like this. But it's hard to fault them booing because I think what this was was just such frustration of just, as Zach Wilson said, they deserve to see good football. Jets fans deserve to see good football. And they haven't seen good football aside from 2015 since their back-to-back AFC championship game runs. It has been a slow and miserable fall to this point. And we're going to talk about it later in the show. This team could very well be 1-7, 1-8, again. It could be worse than that if they, don't find a way with the, if they don't find a way to beat the Bengals or the Falcons in London. Like, it could be, and it, sh- it might be, very, very bad again. And it's like, when does it turn around? When does it change? I'm sitting here covering this team every year, and like, I think they're about to turn a corner. I think they're about to do this. And then they don't. And it's like, I thought the Jets were going to be pretty bad this year. If you're watching training camp, I thought they were a four or five win team at most. But like, I thought they would still compete. I thought they'd still bring the energy. I thought Zach Wilson would show you something every single week that lets you say yes. That's a perfect example of Carolina. Awful in the first half, but you see it in the second half. You see it. And to have these fans that are so happy, so excited, so ready to just scream MetLife to the ground with a ruckus applause, anything to hang their hat on to be pumped about it. They didn't even have to win. Zach just needed to play some semblance of good and to instead get what they got. I get the boos for that. They weren't necessarily booing Zach Wilson, I don't think. I think what they were booing was more ineptitude, more shit. Like no Jet fan can go to work today in a Zach Wilson jersey. You can't. Like, no Jet fan can go to work today in a Jets jersey. You could wear one last week. You could wear one after that Panthers game because you could say, oh, did you see the second half? What, are you going to wear your Corey Davis jersey? Two catches for eight yards. You're going to wear, like, you wear a John Franklin Myers jersey? Is that even off the press yet? You can't wear Zach Wilson. Everyone's going to make fun of you. Like, it's just, I get, like, fans are so emotionally involved in teams, and they I get it. Like, they pay, like, especially if you have season tickets, you pay hard-earned money to go there. I remember one of the last games that I went to as a fan. And again, I know it wasn't a Jets game because like I said, I'm not, not, I'm not going to say it again because I, fans are already mad enough. I don't need to make them pissed off at that. The last game that I went to as a fan, and it honestly, it was probably one of the last times that I went to a game as a fan and was like, what am I doing? Was that I was in college, early college, maybe like late in high school. And I saved up basically every penny that I had from like my first job. And I paid like three, $250 ticket plus parking pass to go to an NFL game. And I was so pumped to go see my, my team play football. Right. And my team lost by like 30 points and it was cold. It was miserable. And I'm sitting there freezing my ass off thinking that I'm in high school, maybe like first year of college. And I paid $250 to watch my team get their ass beat by like 30 points and just look miserable in a game. They were supposed to win. Like I went to a game they were supposed to win and they lost by 30. And I was like, I remember that feeling as I was walking out of the stadium, like what the hell did I just do? And imagine now amplifying that to you having season tickets, amplifying that to the point where you've seen, you just came off a season where the Jets went two and 14. That came off a year where they went seven and nine, where they were still eliminated from the postseason before basically Halloween. And you pay all of this money as a season ticket holder. Even if you're not a season ticket at all, you just pay all this money to go to week one because the Jets are hyping up on Twitter about how we need you, MetLife. We need you to be loud. We need you to beat the Patriots. You're hyped up because Sal is, you know, in one Jets drive saying stuff about new New year, new Jets, all gas, no breaks. Zach Wilson, right? The debut is Zach Wilson at home. And you get that. You pay all that money. You've waited a full year to go to MetLife Stadium because COVID took, kicked you out of your seats last year. And you're met with that? I'll be honest, I probably would have booed too. I probably would have booed too because that had to just be so 
demoralizing, so gut-wrenching, so just miserable. And again, it's not booing Zach Wilson. It's just booing the situation. It's that the Jets, for God knows how long, have been a laughingstock. And it doesn't ever seem to get any better. It The corner never seems to turn. It never seems to act. The, the, the darkest before the dawn, right, right? The night's always darkest before the dawn. No, actually, if you're a Jet fan, it just keeps getting freaking darker. Seriously, that's what it feels like. And it's just, I wish I could say it's going to turn around here. I wish you could say it's going to, but it's like, again, I would just be the same salesman of like saying, just trust me, just trust the Jets. Like just, but what, what have they done to earn that trust? Like that's what's, that's what's hard. And like, I do, I will say this. And I genuinely do believe that Zach Wilson is going to be a good quarterback. I do genuinely believe that. I, 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 I have seen things that I think he can get it. But I've also, aside from those two days in Green Bay, I've never seen a franchise quarterback work, so the hell if I know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trusting what Joe Douglas says. I'm just trusting what Robert Sala says. I'm just trusting what Mike LaFleur says. But also, if I trusted what those three guys would say, Denzel Mims would be this team's starting receiver. So it's like, what, like, I I don't know what to say to you guys, even though I just talked for 15 minutes and I'm going to get ripped for doing another Connor, man. I mean, honestly, I don't know what to say. I don't, I I don't, I, I, I get like, don't boo a rookie quarterback in his second start. Fine. But you're not just booing him. You're booing the situation. You know what I mean? And, and the situation's worth booing because you're sick and tired of losing football. It's the same reason giant fans have every right to boo. It's the same reason Browns fans before Michael Dunneron had every right to boo. Like until you turn it around when you were just beat and beat, and beat, and beat, and beat. Eventually, you know what you're going to do? When somebody raises their fist, you're going to flinch. And that's what Jeff fans are doing. They're flinching. Because, like, why would you think you're going to get back? Why would you think you're actually going to win a fight when you just keep getting your ass beat year after year after year? All right. Well, I'll be the I'll be the optimistic one. You know, <laughs> it, it's game two. Like, let's, let's, you know, things can turn around. It's a bad game. Turn the page. On to Denver, right? That's a, that's what they say. Um, all right. So you did mention in there Corey Davis and Denzel Mims, and we need to talk about the wide receivers. Corey Davis, two receptions and five targets, eight yards. Denzel Mims, not active for this game. Why was Corey Davis such a non-factor? And is Denzel Mims not going to be – is he going to be inactive? Is this going to be a weekly thing? I don't want to jinx you, but you've got this hosting thing down pretty good now. <laughs> gonna, you. You've got, I guess, like, there's the, it's like last, you could tell, like, the the intro last week, you could tell you were reading. It was like, mm-hmm. it was like not robotic, but like, you can tell you're reading off a script. I mean, but then, I, like, you I kind still of am a little. <laughs> well, now, now it's like, now you're, you're kicking this, you're kicking ass. Thanks. I'm wild. I am wildly impressed. I'll be um, honest. I am, I think Tim's going to go back. I don't know if Tim's watching the film or, or, uh making sure he's well no because you told me babies can't crawl so i'm just watching his child hey, exist let me um, let me just give a, a plug to my little uh lena jones lindsey jones our senior nfl writer here at the athletic her daughter is five years old and does picks every week um i'm not I, i'm not, not against sure the spread not a, okay not against the spread but she's five years old yesterday i'm not sure what she had in the sunday night game i kind of forget but oh she was 11 and three yesterday 11 and me. three so shout out to the little kids. Tim Tim's daughter is gonna be right after her, you know. Once she can, maybe she'll once pick she better than see. dad. Yeah, well, yeah. We'll get to our can't wait picks later in the show, well, but I don't um, think we want to. Yeah, I don't think we want to. Yeah, back to Mims um, and Corey Davis. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like so. The Patriots, obviously, as we all know, they they make it their focus to like pinpoint one guy, and and I think Corey Davis was the guy that they pinpointed, and and somebody that they said wasn't going, they weren't going to let him beat him, and and Corey had a very quiet day. I mean, he was targeted on the first two interceptions, and then basically wasn't targeted again until uh, I think that late in the second half, where he finished with the two catches for eight yards. And and I don't think this is a referendum on on Corey Davis. I don't think this is uh, a sign that that he can't play. I don't think this is a sign he can't be a number one receiver. I think this is just what the Patriots do, and you go against. You look at their defensive history in any game that they win, and you'll see that the opponent's top target generally isn't the one who makes the plays. Even in their games, they lose. Like Generally, the opponent's top target isn't the one who makes the plays. The Jets need to have somebody else step up in that absence. And honestly, Marissa, I don't think they were in an awful position to do that. I mean, Braxton Berrios, career-high seven catches for 73 yards. I mean, I know he's not Jamison Crowder, but those are pretty good numbers. Elijah Moore, four catches, 47 yards. I mean, that's pretty good considering your quarterback 
went 19 to 33 and the majority of those yardage and the, and the 210 yards came in garbage time. So Zach Wilson's interception after interception after interception, that held the offense back. That's what prevented the offense from getting getting going. I mean, if he was throwing, if he, avo- I mean, honestly, if he avoided those four turnovers, if he stayed away from all that stuff, I mean, the, the Patriots scored 16 points off the Jets' turnovers. The Jets lost by 19. And like a lot of those field goals kind of came in garbage time when the Jets were going for it on fourth down. So, I mean, if they lost this game not because Corey Davis was invisible, not because the Patriots took away Corey Davis. They lost this game because of Zach Wilson's turnover. So I'm not that worried about Corey Davis. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to turn this around. I think this was just more an example of the Jets offense never getting going more than the Patriots taking away Corey Davis. And they never got going because of the abundance of interceptions that Zach Wilson threw. All right. Well, we are going to talk about the offensive lineman and the run game. Oh, and Mims. I didn't talk about Mims. Oh, either. okay. We have to get into that. Get it. Do you want to take? You want to put, run the run the run the commercial first, and then we'll get Mims okay, on yeah. the other side of the break. We'll talk. We'll talk about Denzel Mims. We'll talk about the offensive line and the run game after this. From a quick message from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back on Can't Wait, and we've talked a lot about Denzel Mims on this show. Loyal listeners know there's been a few Denzel Mims rants on this show, but he was inactive on Sunday. What do you make of that, Connor? Yeah. De- so, deep breaths. Yeah, we'll, we'll recap this quickly because... Yeah. We've got a lot more to get to. Yeah, so when it comes to Denzel Mims, I understand why the Jets don't start him. I get why he's not a starting player, right? It's very clear after Robert Salas spoke to us again after the game and was more more blunt than he was during his conference call with us, that Denzel Mims does not have a full grasp of the playbook per the Jets. Um, the Jets do not believe that he has a full understanding of the playbook. He does not know all three receiver positions. He does not play on special teams. So for that reason... They are not starting him, right? I get that. Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder. Those three guys should be your three receivers. Those are the guys that should be on the field 45, 50 snaps a game. That's Those are your three starting receivers. That makes sense. All three of those receivers are better players than Denzel Mims. I want to remove Braxton Berrios from this equation as well. And I know people keep saying and they keep throwing this out there like, how is Braxton Berrios playing above Denzel Mims? How is Braxton Berrios on the field instead of Denzel Mims? Braxton Berrios is a slot receiver. Denzel Mims is not a slot receiver. The only reason that Braxton Berrios is on the field is because Jamison Crowder is not. When Jamison Crowder is on the field, Braxton Berrios will come off. The Jets are not playing Braxton Berrios ahead of Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims doesn't play slot receiver. When... We were originally ranting and raving and half of Jets Nation was on my ass over saying Denzel Mims shouldn't start. My opinion on the matter was very straightforward was that and I thought this was what was going to happen was that Denzel Mims is not playing. Here is why Denzel Mims is not playing. He doesn't know the playbook enough. He's also not really a scheme fit for what LaFleur wants because he's not a great route runner and he's not an elusive yards after catch guy. I know everyone saw Denzel Mims catch that play against, make that grab against the Giants, then run over half of the defense. It's not what I mean by yak. I mean, like, catch the ball, make like 12 guys miss shifty and then get out in space. Like, that kind of, like, Debo Samuel in space, kind of like, 
elusive guys. That's who Michael Floor wants, right? Like that's who, he was. and that's not Denzel Mims. He's six three. He's a big bodied guy. Like he's just not a yak guy. It's that's that's what I mean when I said yak. I don't mean he can't run people over. I don't mean he can't catch the ball and separate because he's faster than everyone else. I just mean elusiveness, juking, spinning, that kind of a thing. Like, and that's what I mean by yak guy. So my whole thing was that while he's not a scheme fit for the offense, and clearly he doesn't really know the playbook right now, which Salah's confirmed, he still would see time and play because he still has a skill set that you cannot coach. He still does things that other guys on this field can't do. He still does things, and what he does, he does them very well. So what I thought was that the Jets would have a package of plays. They would have their three wide receivers, who at the time, because Elijah Moore hadn't emerged yet, looked like Keelan Cole, uh, Jamison Crowder, Corey Davis. I thought you would then have Denzel Mims work in and Elijah Moore work in. And Elijah Moore, as he got more comfortable, more comfortable, more comfortable, would take over as a starter. And Denzel Mims would probably do some more things. They would find interesting and unique ways to use him, right? Eventually, obviously, Elijah Moore came around and Elijah Moore figured his stuff out. And Elijah Moore basically got to the point where you could not keep him off the field. So he supplanted Keelan Cole as your starter. What makes no sense to me is why Denzel is completely and totally inactive. Because this is an offense. We're not talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. We are not talking about the Atlanta Atlanta Falcons. I was thinking about Julio. We are not talking about the Tennessee Titans. We're not talking about the greatest show on turf. We're not talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Don't you think that against the Patriots, the Jets could have used a play like Denzel Mims against the, made against the Giants, where he caught a ball, ran over half the defense, and ignited the reserve offense on the field? Don't you think the Jets against the Patriots could have used a play like Denzel Mims made against the Chargers last year, where he jumped up high in contested coverage and managed to make a play on a go right down the sideline, something he did twice. Don't you think the Jets could have used a play like Mims made again against the Chargers, where he stretched the field, didn't catch the ball, but he drew a defensive pass interference? Don't you think Denzel M- or the Jets could have used a play like Denzel Mims made, like he did in week one against the Panthers, for 40 yards down the left sideline. Took a great throw from Zach Wilson, but one where he got down the field. Denzel Mims is 6'3". Denzel Mims runs a 4'3'40". Denzel Mims is not a great route runner, but he is a tremendous linear player. Denzel Mims is somebody that when the ball is in the air, has a knack and a tendency to go up and get it. The Jets need explosive players. The Jets need guys to make plays when they shouldn't make it. And this idea or this concept that Denzel Mims shouldn't play at all is just egregiously blasphemous to me. Because <laughs> Tell us how you really still, feel, Connor. <laughs> seriously, though, he is a talented player. He has a skill set. And if you are a coaching staff, it is your job that when you have a player with a skill set, You find a way to use that skill set. You are not getting anything from Jeff Smith. You like what Keelan Gold does here or there. Keelan Cole didn't draw a target or a catch yesterday. Denzel Mims is somebody that you can at least check in. And I'm not saying you should play 50 snaps. I'm not playing you should say every. I'm not saying he should start. But there should be a package of plays for Denzel Mims that highlights his strengths that shows what he does well, that gets him the ball and asks him to do things that he does well because what he does, he does very well. And this idea that the Jets can't even work him in because he's not a gunner, the idea that the Jets can't even work him in because he doesn't know the slot receiver position, who gives a shit if he can go down the field and cover a punt? Who gives a shit if he can't play the slot? 
Who cares if he doesn't know every play of every receiver position? The guy can still go deep and stretch the field. The guy can still make contested catches. The guy can still do things that Keelan Cole and Jeff Smith can't. So as an offensive coach, as a guru, get him on the damn field. Do something with him. This is not the Titans. This is not the Bucks. This is not the Chiefs. The Jets need explosive plays. They need explosive players. So if you have a player that can run a 4-3-40, put him on the field. If you have a player that can make contested catches, put him on the field. Give him an opportunity to do what he does well. I've like seen this song and dance so many times from Jets coaches about this guy doesn't do this, this guy doesn't do that. Okay, fine. That's why they're not on the field. Who get like let him do what he does. Like you see rookies all the time that don't necessarily know every aspect of every game, but the coaching staff still puts them in a position to do what they do well and then eventually they learn and they go. Maybe Denzel Mims is never going to be a starting receiver. Maybe he's never going to be a guy that's on the field all the time. Maybe the Jets don't love his attitude. But you know what? There have been a lot of players in the NFL who have made plays that aren't exactly like have the best attitude all the time. There have been a lot of players in the NFL who make, but you know what the good teams do? You know what the good coaching staff do? If they find players that can help them win games, they put them in position to win games. It's like the Jets have like this weird, they don't have, I don't know. Like it's just, it's, it's frustrating because it's 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 the it's the double-edged sword. I'm not saying Denzel should start because if he doesn't know the playbook, which is clear, like for every everything that Robert Sala said in his post-game press conference on on Sunday after the game, and what he said on Monday when we talked to him about Denzel only playing three snaps, everything that Sala said then, everything was completely and totally justifiable for why the Jets are not starting Denzel Mims. Every part of that justifies the decision to not start Denzel Mims, 100%. It does not justify why he's not playing. And Robert was like kind of talking out of both ends of his mouth because he says like, oh, like we fully expect Denzel to, you know, this this inactive this inactive thing is, is not going to last that long. We fully expect that by, you know, by the end of, of this time, like Denzel is not going to, you know, he's not going to be on this inactive list too long. But then his very next breath is, but we also don't think Keelan and Jeff Smith are going to give that up. And also, if he's going to be our fourth or fifth receiver, he has to play special teams. and He doesn't play special teams. I'll tell you where this is headed. Denzel knows what he can do. I heard from two players that were at practice and one player who's talked to enough or one person who's talked to enough people over there to know what happened. Denzel had a hell of a week of practice last week. I talked to two people that were on the field with him that said he had a hell of a practice last week. I heard from a couple people who talked to others that it was even better than that. It's going to get to the point where Denzel gets pissed and Denzel gets annoyed. And it would not surprise me if he's continuing, if he's inactive and he's continued to be inactive, if eventually there's a call made to Joe Douglas that says, get me out of here. I'm not getting any, I'm not getting any better riding the pine. I'm not getting any better being on the bench. So if you're not going to play me and you're not going to, nothing I do in practice matters because I don't play gunner on special teams. You're not getting me on the field. Then trade me to a team that's going to play me. Get a pick for me and trade me to a person. What do you, team what do you think? They that's, could, that's where this is headed. There, there were some comments about that in the chat. What do you, what do you think they could get for him if they did decide to trade him? Not a lot. I mean, what are you going to get? For, I mean, the Jets have like basically destroyed this kid's value. Like you like the coach, he's inactive. Mm-hmm. He's inactive. Like, what do you think you're getting for a guy that's inactive? A sixth? Maybe? Yeah. You ain't getting a third. You're certainly not getting a second. You're not getting a fourth or a fifth. At least Chris and people will say, oh, the Jets got a fourth for Chris Herndon, right? What, they got a fourth for him? Yeah, but Chris Herndon had a rookie year to fall back on. Where, like, he looked really good his rookie year. There was hype where you could say, like, highlights towards the end of last year. There's nothing, like, like... Denzel didn't do anything last year. Like, he had a couple highlight plays last year, but nothing where you're like, oh, that's it. Like, oh, that guy's going to do it. Like, oh, this guy's a stud, or this guy's a star, or this guy's going to, like, tear up the league. I mean, what did he have? I'm bringing up his stats now. I mean, the guy, he had a hamstring injury and all that last year. He finished with 23 catches for 357 yards in eight games last year. Like, he's not a, you're, you're going to get, I, I would think maybe a conditional six, maybe would be what you get for him. But like the weird thing here is that you can, it's almost like the coaching staff and like management are like on different ends. Because like when we talked to Joe, it was pretty like Joe was going to want him on the field. Joe invested a second round pick in this kid. He knows he's not getting better riding the pine, put him on the field, let him play. And then the Jets like, no, he doesn't know. He doesn't play special teams and he doesn't know enough of the play or he doesn't know enough of all three receiver spots to be on. 
Maybe they don't like his attitude. I don't know. I've never seen anything that would make me think they don't like his attitude. I've seen Denzel drop passes and like individual drills. I get that. But again, that's all reasoning why he's not starting. That's all justifiable reasons why he's not starting. He shouldn't be starting. I agree with Salah and I agree with the floor. He should not be starting for the reasons that they said. But when you're 6'3 and you run a 4'3'40, when you can take the top off a of defense, when you can draw pass interferences, when you can make high point passes, when you can make grabs that you're not supposed to make, design a package of plays. The Broncos found a way to design packages of plays for Tim Tebow. <laughs> right? Like, there have been players, like, the, the, the Saints have an entire, like, cornucopia of plays designed for, uh, as freaking names escaping me, the quarterback, help me, uh, number seven, the the guy who, who uh, the Jets old special teams coach loved. You know who I'm talking about, Yeah, right? um, He's in the, I'm liking someone too. Someone help me here. <laughs> we'll have the chat to help us out. Chase him Hill. I love Chase him. Hill. Chase him Hill, thank you. Like, it's, it's like, they design, like, good coaches and good coaching staffs when you have a player that has a skill set, you find a way to use that skill set. Taysom Hill it was like he was, yeah, obviously they started him. His first couple of years playing, he was never going to play quarterback, but they found a way to use what he did well to help them on Sundays. So find a way to use Denzel Mims's skill set on Sundays to help you win football games because he can do more athletically and physically than Jeff Smith. He can do things that Braxton Berrios can't do. He can do things that Keelan Cole can't do. Keelan Cole knows more of the playbook. That's why he's further up in the depth chart. Get it. Braxton Berrios is a slot receiver. That's why he's playing in front of James Crowder. I get it. But that doesn't mean Denzel shouldn't play. Especially when it seems like anytime you put him on the field, he does something. I don't know. I don't know. It, honestly, it feels like maybe it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> Okay. But that is like one of the most frustrating things because this is an offense that I watched on the field on Sunday that needed an explosive play. This is an offense, like I said, that could have used the play he made against the Giants. Could have used a defensive pass interference like he drew against the Chargers. Could have used one of those long catches he made against the Chargers. Could have used the 40-yard grab he had against the Panthers. Could have used all of that. Could have used it all. And he sat on the bench because Keelan Cole was active. Keelan Cole and his zero targets. And I'm not saying Keelan Cole should be inactive. He shouldn't be. But Denzel Mims should be on the field. Some uh, five, 10 plays a game. He should be on the field for five or 10 plays a game. Because once he checks it, once you hit it a couple times, or once he draws that DPI, or once he gets deep, or once he makes a few plays, every time he checks in, the defense is going to start paying attention to him. And when they're paying attention to him, that means they're paying less attention to Elijah Moore, less attention to Corey Davis. All right, well... At one point, on, last thing, at one point on Sunday, at one point on Sunday, the Jets trotted out Keelan Cole on one side and Jeff Smith on the other side. Elijah Moore was off the field and uh, and Corey Davis was off the field. Do you think there was as much explosiveness on the field with that package as there would have been if Denzel was out there? No. All right, well. I'm pretty sure before we started this, you said you were going to get to this really quick, but I should have known better that Denzel Mims sparks the fire in your belly and gets you really going in the morning. So It's amazing how I've gone from like saying how the guy shouldn't start and getting destroyed for it to now I've like basically I'm wearing a Denzel Mims jersey. Like it's amazing how this has turned. It's amazing. All right. Well, it's amazing. And those who follow like they yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's amazing. Not- but like again, it, like I said last thing Marissa, and I'm sorry, but like the last thing is like again when when this was all when we were getting into all these fights and all these arguments in in OTAs and mini camp and training camp never in my wildest dreams did I think that he was going to be inactive. I just thought here are your starting receivers and Denzel will have a package where I'm pretty sure there's probably countless stories in the athletic where I wrote this that Jets will have a package of plays that uses his skill set. He's just not starting because he doesn't do these things well. And now he's inactive. It's it's mind-boggling to me. It really is. All right. Well, we gotta. We really have to get to the defense, but we do need to quickly touch on the run game and the offensive line. That was good. Uh, yeah, it was a lot better than last week. Um, 31 carries, 152 yards, averaging 4.9 yards a carry. We talked about this being the, the Jets' bread and butter, and they went to it a lot. Yeah. And the offensive line was better. Um, Zach Wilson was still sacked four times, but not all on the offensive line. There was a lot, like you said, in garbage time when towards the end of the game, there was some sacks. But 
what what changed and what were you impressed with with the run game and the offensive line's improvements from week one versus the Panthers? They blocked. <laughs> and they blocked well. I mean, that was kind of it. Now, I think that the the pass protection was, I mean, again, there weren't that many dropbacks. Like, wasn't it? I forget what the exact first half numbers were, but because of the abundance of interceptions, it just, just kept giving the ball back to the Patriots. So I'm curious how that would have looked if, like, it's weird. Like I said, it was the, the interceptions kind of can convolute. And when, and when Zach got away from the interceptions, he started throwing the ball and holding the ball a little bit was when he got teed off. I mean, he was still sacked four times, was still hit a lot, was still pressured a lot. I mean, the Patriots didn't get that much pressure in the first half. The second half, it ramped up. Even when it was still a game in the third quarter, like the first two plays or so, Zach had to start getting off his spot and they were all around him and things like that. But from a run blocking perspective, we said that that the one th- like I, I I said this before and, and we said it on the podcast last week that the one area that I was not concerned about with the Jets was their ability to run block because while in training camp they couldn't pass block you or I off the edge they could run block I mean they po- they broke free on run after run after run I mean they did a really impressive job run blocking throughout the summer and then when we didn't see it against Carolina it was a little odd and and talking to Greg Van Roten during the week talking to the Jets during the week they said like look we saw where we messed up, we were very close to having runs. Like it was kind of like little mental errors where if we just tweak this, it'll be fine. It'll be better. And it was, I mean, you saw it was whether it was, I'd also think it helped that the jets went to an abundance of Mike Carter and Ty Johnson. And then Tevin Coleman worked in as well, but it was Mike Carter and Ty Johnson. So to see Mike Carter go 11 for 59, Ty Johnson, 12 for 50, even Tevin Coleman going five for 24, although 17 of it came on one. Zach Wilson ran a little bit with three for 19. If you would have told me, the Jets would rush 31 times for 152 yards, which is an average of 4.9 a pop. If you would have told me that was the case and they would have had 148 of it with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, I would have told you the Jets win this game outright. But obviously turnovers win football games and, and a 19-point game when 16 come as a direct result of Zach Wilson throwing interceptions. I mean, that's why you're going to lose a football game. But yeah, if you want a positive notion, if you want something to hang your hat on, that offensive line run blocking without Mekhi Becton, an offensive line that seems like this grouping of five seem to be gelling a little bit better than they did with Makai. They seem to be executing and working a little bit better than they did with Makai. They were able to run the ball against a stout defensive front and run the ball really effectively. And that's something to hang your hat on moving forward because that's what, like you said, the Jets want this to be the bread and butter. The Jets want this to be what they do well. They want to be able to run the ball. They want to be able to run the ball to set up the pass. They want to be able to turn it off and know that no matter what, they're getting four to five yards of carry. They were able to do that against a very good Patriots team. And now we're going to see if they're going to be able to do it next week and the week after and the week after. Okay. Speaking of next week and the week after, we are going to take a look at the schedule and after two weeks assess where the Jets stand and what uh, our predictions are uh, after two weeks of the season. I mean, still very early, still very early, but we're going to go down the schedule. But we're also going to talk about the defense because another strong showing for the defense. But first, a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Connor, so we've given a lot of time on this podcast to the offense, but the defense definitely deserves some love. Second game where the defense has looked pretty good, despite a lot of injuries in the secondary. So what has encouraged you the most about what you've seen on defense so far from the Jets this season? Second game? Yeah. Second game where the defense played a game where the Jets could have won. Yeah. I mean, the the Jets, they played a performance. The Jets could have won a game with this defensive performance for the second week in a row. And I'll be honest. You want like positive talk. I am stunned by the development of that. I, I'm stunned by how competent the Jets defense is because I thought this group was going to be horrific this year. I thought that when they lost Carl Lawson, and based off of what I saw from the secondary throughout training camp, I thought the defense was going to be a disaster. This was going to be a group letting up 35, 40, 50 points a game, and the Jets would just be scoring like mid to high 20s and maybe into the 30s with Zach Wilson. Like, I thought it was going to be the reverse of this. I did not expect the defense to stand on their head against the Panthers and keep them in that game. I mean, I know they let up some some plays to McCaffrey, but when it mattered, it was the bend but don't break philosophy. And against the Patriots, again, 
they did enough for the Jets to win this game. 16 points came off turnover. 16 points were not really the defense's fault. The only real bad play that I saw from the defense all day was the run where Damian Harris broke Damian Harris broke off for a 26-yard touchdown where the tackling was horrible. But if you think about it, I mean, that was came off of an interception from Zach Wilson. They were just probably emotionally depleted and morally depleted that it was just like, oh my God, another interception. And then the Patriots took advantage of it. I mean, that wasn't Jets football. I mean, that wasn't what we've seen. But uh, this is a team that plays hard from the first play through the last. This is a team that we've seen is able to get after the quarterback. Now, Salah has to blitz and pressure a little bit more than than what he was accustomed to in San Francisco after they lost Carl Lawson. Um, if Carl Lawson was on this front, I mean, you'd probably be seeing just an abundance of four rushes, maybe five-man rushes, but but not really too much blitzing. The Jets have to pressure a little more now because that's how they're going to have to get pressure because they lost that like true edge-rushing threat. Um, but you're seeing a team that from the first play of snap to the last play of snap plays really hard, a secondary that is much more competent than I expected. Uh, a defensive line that is led now by John Franklin Myers. And you saw Sheldon Rankins get involved. And Quinton Williams is starting to push the pocket again. And, and he'll get better and better as the season goes on. And he gets his, you know, knocks the rest of that rust off. But this is a D that's that's pretty decent. This is a defense that that is going to keep the Jets in games. And if the offense can ever get out of their own way, if the offense can finally put together four quarters of football, you might have a, a team that can win some games down the stretch or or at the minimum compete against teams. Now, obviously, it's tough to say that after what we saw against uh, the first half against Carolina. It's tough to say that after what you just saw for four quarters against the Patriots. But if this offense can figure itself out and, and Zach Wilson eventually starts playing like the player that the Jets hope he is and believe he is and the offensive line can build upon what they did against the, the Patriots and make sure that they're more that grouping and not the group that was just dysfunctional against the Panthers – I mean, the Jets do have some makings here. And and a big reason for that, Marissa, like you said, is the defense. And, and I didn't see this coming. I didn't think this was coming. I didn't believe this was coming. But it's uh, it's been a, a very, very pleasant surprise. And I think a lot of that credit deserves – a lot of that credit should go not just to the players, but also Jeff Ulbrich. I think that he's doing a tremendous job – putting together game plans because I know this is Salah's team, Salah's a defensive minded, but he's managing it. He lets his offensive coordinator do the offense, the defensive coordinator, the def- defense. And, and Ulbrich's doing a very impressive job of putting his players in a position to have success and getting some pretty good performances out of his guys when maybe you didn't necessarily see a lot of that coming. I mean, it's it's been it's been fun to watch and, and, and it's been cool to watch, especially considering the fact that this defense seems to take shot after shot, injury after injury, and it doesn't impact them too much. I mean, they're down to their third string safety doesn't matter. Quincy Williams, who was claimed off the waiver wire, starting an inside linebacker. Doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. All right. So when we talked on our uh, rundown call yesterday, you said you wanted to take a look at the schedule and see where the Jets stand and what, what your predictions are for the rest of the season. And like we said, it's early. It's 0-2, but things can things can change. But let's go week by week and assess where they are with their schedule. So next week, you're headed to Denver. What are yeah. what are your initial thoughts on that one? Not good. I mean, I Von Miller had another like three sacks this week, didn't he? I mean, I know I saw him torment Nate Solder. Uh, he's got. He, I think he had another two or another three this week. I mean, he's all the way back. He's back to being just a dynamic force, and that's a Denver team too that just gave uh, Trevor Lawrence fits. It gave Daniel Daniel Jones sucks, but he gave Daniel Jones fits in week one. They gave Trevor Lawrence fits in week two. I mean, this is a a. Def- I mean, Fangio is a, is a defensive minded coach. So you've got a defensive-minded, hard-nosed team. And they've got, like, this is, again, it's, they're probably going to see a similar offense approach to what the they saw against the Patriots. Just Teddy Bridgewater is a significantly better dinker and dunker than Mac Jones is because he's been dinking and dunking throughout his entire career, you know? And, and he's one of those guys that stays away from the turnovers. He'll attack when it presents itself, but he's not going to make mistakes. Pretty good offensive line, decent rushing attack. But they're going to, offensively, I think they're going to be able to put up some decent numbers against the Jets. They're going to be able to do a decent job. But what it's really going to come down to with them is, like, that Bronco defense. That Bronco defense is very, very good. And don't underestimate the Jets. We'll talk a ton about this on, on Friday when we do the show. But they, mm-hmm. they, they, that defense is going to give the Jets some issues because they got a good secondary, they got a good linebacking core, and they got a very good pass rush. And I think the Jets are going to have a lot of issues with that. If they had any issues with Carolina's pass rush, they're going to have even more issues here with, with, the, with the Broncos. So I personally, going through the I don't see the Jets beating Denver. I don't see the Jets beating Tennessee at all. Uh, I think the first. So that would be 0 4. 
Yeah. I think the next win the Jets could potentially have would be Atlanta in London. I think the Falcons are a very bad football team, but also they just went to, I mean, they did go toe to toe with the, the Bucks, but that's a divisional game. So you almost have to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Like that's the Jets in their worst States always played the Patriots. Usually they would once a year, they would play the Patriots sort of close. So, I mean, you can kind of throw that one out, but like, I mean, again, the Jets almost beat the Tom Brady led Patriots when they had like Josh McCown running the show. So I mean, it's, it's, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I would say Atlanta though is is one game where I could potentially see them winning. If not Atlanta, All right, let, let's give it to him. Let's give it to him. So one and four, going into the bye. Yeah, uh, I don't think they beat the Patriots. I don't think. I don't think they beat the Bengals. Uh, I don't think they beat the Colts. Uh, I don't think they beat the Bills. All right, um, so we're at week we're at week ten and we're one and one eight. One and eight. Yeah, that's not good. Um. What I don't know, I saw Tua went hurt. I I don't know how long Tua is out for, um, but I could if Tua is out, I think they'll beat the Dolphins. If Tua is in at that point, I don't think they beat the Dolphins. Um, I think they'll beat the Texans. I do in Week Twelve. I think they definitely beat the Texans. I don't think Texans. I know Texans have played the Browns. Well, you just saw it. I know they played the Browns pretty tough. But if Tyrod's out, and I think by then they'll be. They'll have their eyes towards the draft, much how like the Jaguars played some tough games in the early early last season, and they realized Trevor Lawrence was in their you know in their sights, and suddenly they started playing some crappy football. So I don't think the Texans are going to do anything Week Twelve, or I think so. I think the Jets will beat them there. Uh, probably lose to the Eagles, probably lose to the Saints, probably lose to the Dolphins. I think they'll beat the Jaguars because I think the Jaguars are a terrible football team, and then I think they'll lose to the Bucks and the Bills. So what's that give them three wins? So I see him as a three as a three win team, uh, probably right now three maybe four. They could steal one more of those games, uh, but if you're looking for like a first win, I think Atlanta is the one you circle as a chance the Jets could win that game, and I think maybe Cincinnati and then Miami and Houston. So the big games where the Jets could win would be Week Five, Week Ten, or Week Five, Week Eleven. You know, if Cincinnati's in there Week Eight, I mean we'll see. But it's it's this is one where you know you had. <laughs> When the Jets started one and seven with Adam Gase, you had planes flying around calling for everyone's job when the Jets were one and seven with the first year coach. Obviously, Robert Sala is, is a little bit more beloved by the fan base right now than, uh, than than Adam Gase ever was. So I don't think Jet fans are going to be flying planes to fire Robert Sala if he starts one and seven just like Gase did. But I mean, this is one we're looking at that schedule. It's at least in Wait, 2019, what? you could see it get really easy at the end. There is no really easy stretch of games on this schedule. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a gauntlet, and and it's tough to see with the way the Jets have started this year so far. If they again put a stinker up there against Denver, and again put a stinker up there against Tennessee, and if they then lose to Atlanta in London, it's tough to see where the wins are coming. The Atlanta one is going to be a big measuring test because if they beat the Falcons, you can say okay, the Jets can beat bad teams. If they lose to the Falcons, and that offense still has some players, they got Calvin Ridley, they got Pitts who's starting to come along. Matt Ryan's still a veteran quarterback who can make plays. Oh. Um, we we got a good question in the chat, and let's do this pretty quick because we're we're going pretty long again. But this one's from Kevin Knight. If the Jets do go three and fourteen this year, what do they do? Do they bring everyone back and hope to get five wins next year? Like, I mean, let's let's not you like you know. Did he ask me if Joe two. gets fired? Well, they're not going to fire a coaching staff, obviously. It's you know, right. If Joe but, Douglas gets fired, no. But it'll be what. Here's what I, I actually said. This I said that Rich and I. I was having breakfast with Rich in the press box yesterday. And I said this to him, um, what I'm fascinated to see is that Joe is operating under this, um, Joe is operating with this team building philosophy that he has in the Ravens, which is we're building through the draft. We're going to stay out of the big, big ticket free agents. We're not going to spend, we'll, we'll occasionally grab like one or two guys in free agency that we think can help our team. The the Corey Davises, the Shaq or Carl Lawson's, but even Lawson and Davis, yeah, they were big ticket free agents. But the Jets got them for, on basically two year deals. Like there's no guaranteed money with either of those deals basically after two years. So the Jets spend sometimes, but even when they spend, they don't really spend. They don't spend like you saw the Giants go after a Dory Jackson or or when Brandon Sheriff went to the or not Sheriff, I'm sorry, Joe Tooney went to the Chiefs. Like they don't spend spend. They spend by Joe Douglas standards. They don't spend by NFL standards. If the Jets go, I was saying this to Rich, like say the Jets do go three and 14, say the Jets go four and 13 this year. The pressure on Joe Douglas is now ramped way up because he'll have had, while well, he didn't do anything under his contract, he'll have had the 2019 season, the 2020 season, 
and the 2021 season. Three years where the Jets were seven and nine. That was basically McCagnin's team. Seven and nine was McCagnin's team. So Joe Douglas's two years as GM, when he had draft and free agency, the Jets would have gone two and 14 and then a three or a four win season. That ramps up the pressure heavily for 2022. Heavily. Like, heavily. That pressure's ramped up for that year. Spell it out. <laughs> H-E-A-V-I-L-Y. Heavily. I'm very curious if then this offseason, if Joe changes his philosophy some feeling the heat. If he starts getting nervous saying, you know what? I'm not going to survive a four or a five win season. Because if he goes two and 14, three or four wins, four or five wins in a three-year stretch, he's not keeping his job. Like no GM keeps his job. Woody Johnson will pull the plug so quick. Like he will not do that. Nothing. I don't think anything other than Owens 18 can, or Owens 17 in an 18 game, 18 week season can cost Joe Douglas his job this year. Really? Like, I think that's the only thing that would do it. And, and then everyone's job's on the line. If you only, if you win no games, but that's not going to happen. The Jets will win some games. They, they won a game last year. They'll win a Owen, game Owen 18 would be pretty impressive since there's only 17. That's why I said. I corrected myself, Marissa. I corrected myself, but I'm very curious if like Joe in free agency next year, if the Jets only win three or four games, feeling the heat, if suddenly he takes that abundance of money, the Jets have, and he starts making splashes. If he goes out and he's suddenly starts signing and playing with the top tier free agents, if he suddenly takes a couple of those draft picks and trades them for a veteran player. If he suddenly starts grabbing some of those Band-Aid repairs that he's been, I don't want, I'm not touching that, I'm not touching, I'm not doing that. That's not my way. That's not how the Ravens did it. If suddenly he starts saying, you know what? We need some wins. I need some Band-Aid fixes. Let's grab some Band-Aids. Let's, let's give this guy his money. Let's sign this guy. Let's get this 30-year-old. Let's get this guy. Let's trade for that. If he suddenly starts changing his philosophical approach to building this team because he feels the pressure from Woody Johnson to, 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 um, to win some football games because if the jets go three, three or four wins this year after two wins last year, it's not an improvement. That is not an improvement, especially when you're supposed to be headed in the right direction. You can't, you eventually need to win and rebuilds don't take forever. You see teams turn around and turn around quick. So I, I'm very fascinated to see that if this goes the way that I think the year is going to go, if Joe changes the way that he handles the off season. And I think he might. All right. Well, this was a jam packed show. We were all one and two in our can't wait picks this week and we will have more on that in our second episode of the week as we preview the Broncos but Connor thank you have some water after those those uh those rants um we will be back later in the week thank you guys all for listening if you haven't yet got your athletic subscription go to theathletic.com slash can't wait and you can get 50% off pretty good deal going right now so go check that out Have a great day, everybody, and we will see you later in the week.